Hi, I'm Tom. I'm Sean. And we are the Yankee Clippers. Uh, the reason why we pick Yankee Clippers for this podcast name is because it's the only team that the both of us can agree upon. We're both diehard Yankees fans. So uh, on this podcast, we'll probably be talking about the Yankees um, and a lot of other sports in between. Um, but right now, we're mainly trying to talk about the Yankees for a little bit just because spring training just kicked off. Season's about a month away, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this season. Absolutely. A lot of high expectations this year. Uh, a lot of excitement with Giancarlo coming in and more development from the young kids. So. First at bat, yeah. each pitch walk. I'm really excited for that. He looked good Great at bat. He looked comfortable in those pinstripes, man. He, he looked did, comfortable he in those pinstripes. Yeah, man, I'm really, really excited about that. Absolutely. So uh, up to this point, uh, the Yankees made a trade last week, acquired Brandon Drury uh, from the Diamondbacks in exchange for two prospects, part of a three-way trade with the Diamondbacks and the Rays. Um, seemed like... I like it because I don't think Andahar is ready. I don't think he's... I think his bat's ready. I just don't think he's ready to field. And obviously, they don't have any room for him at DH right now. So I think Drew is a much better fielder as well as he's seen a lot more pitches in baseball in the major leagues. So I think it's a really good move for the Yankees. It didn't cost them anything, really. Because who did they trade him for? Nick Solak was uh, the top prospect that went to the Rays as part of the three-team deal. And he's a second baseman, like you said. So if if they don't really need that when they have the greatest prospect of all time, Glaber Torres. Exactly. In. Yeah. So I, I think it was a it was one of those classic you know Cashman grabs where he, he sees a guy who has put up decent numbers in the major leagues, got some service time left. But, you know, on a team that's projected to do a lot and their early World Series favorites is uh, he wants more experience out of that infield position. I felt going in this had a lot of Bubba Crosby written all over it where they were saying they would go into the season with two rookies if they yeah. had to. But you just never really believed that that was something that was going to happen. No, it doesn't sound like it. That's not the, what the Yankees do. They literally said they were going to platoon Hicks and Judge at the beginning of last year. So they're usually pretty conservative when it comes to that. Um, yeah, I'm really excited. I saw that you told me Montgomery pitched two innings, two shutout innings. Yep, so early today, uh, the Yankees' third spring training game started off there in Clearwater facing the Phillies. Uh, Montgomery got the start through 26 pitches, um, gave up one hit in two innings, and uh, looked pretty looked pretty good from all indications down there. So Sonny Gray is going to get the start tomorrow. They're I'm excited about that. I think he's going to have a great year, honestly. First full season in pinstripes, I think. You know, he's acclimated to the city now. The, he understands the expectations. Uh, he's one of those warriors out there on the mound. He, he, has a, he has a good idea of what he wants to do, and he's going to fit in to this what should be a pretty strong rotation early on. I mean, listen, honestly, I don't really give a shit that he's a warrior. He's like their fourth <laughs> pitcher, which is great because in, in most other staffs in baseball, he'd be like – second, maybe third in some. Like I was telling you, I really want to go after Arietta. You kind of disagree with me on that? I don't necessarily disagree. I, I just don't think that they're going to do it. I, I think that they they have been shown that they want to allocate their money for absorbing a contract or making moves in the in the middle of the season like they did last year. I think. Well, don't get me wrong. I don't think that they should go and sell, take up a lot of the, the cap space or whatever you want to call it and go over the luxury tax form. I just think that if the market stays the way it does and Scott Boris keeps fucking up, that maybe he'll take two years big money and not mortgage the future but still be able to get – 
you know, a guy who f- was, what, second in Cy Young two years ago? Or did he win it? I can't remember. Uh, he won it in 2015. Exactly. So yeah. he's always he's a really good pitcher. He's a warrior. You really like warriors, clearly. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I like think right he, on the mound, man. He battles. I think he would be a great pickup just because, you know, if, if, the, if the money and the years were right. I would pay him a boatload of cash for the next two years. It's just as long as we can stay under that tax. And I think that as long as they don't lock him into a six-year deal because he is kind of on the back end already. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's got like three good years left. I think the way that it showed – the Drury trade really showed to me was it seems like there's basically no market at all for Moustakis. Uh, it doesn't seem like the Royals are interested in signing him again after uh, losing out on Hosmer. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's really any other winning teams. Well, where do you think he goes, though? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. There doesn't seem to be any teams that really need a third baseman. And I thought, you know, he would be one of those one-year deals that, that comes over. He he would flourish batting sixth or seventh in this lineup. Could you oh, yeah. imagine Moustakis, left-handed power at Yankee Stadium 80 games a year? Oh, yeah. He would probably hit 35. Yeah. You know, so I, seven I thought that, fastballs. Yeah, yeah, I thought that the market was collapsing enough where that could have happened, but it looks like if Cashman really felt like he could have or he he was getting you know the blessing from the Steinbrenners, he would have done it. But it, it seems like he, want, he made that trade, that cost-efficient trade for Drury, and was able to hold on to resources. Because you think about it this way, is the Yankees lineup is going to win them a lot of games. Their rotation's good, but there's a lot of question marks. Well, the only reason why I'd like to go after Arietta is just because I think that they'd have a great six-man rotation because Montgomery reminds me a lot of Pettit. Like, he is a warrior out there, as you said, but he, he's a great pitcher, and he doesn't give a shit. Like, if he gives up back-to-back home runs, he can still strike out the side to end the inning. Absolutely. And I just think he's going to eat up a lot of innings, and he'd be a really, really good back-end starter. I don't think he's going to be, you know, your top three starter, but if you could get Arietta and then fill in with a six-man rotation, that's going to save a lot of innings on Tanaka, who definitely needs saving a lot of innings, and Severino, who's young and who you know they want to watch the innings on Anyways, so if they can get – if the market stays the way it does, I think Arietta would be a great pickup for like a two-year deal. Yeah, I don't disagree with your premise. I just have been looking at the trajectory of how the Yankees have been doing business the last few years is I think based off of the gluttony of their farm system, there's going to – they have so many top prospects that will literally never play in the major leagues for them. Yeah, they could probably so trade somebody. I, th- there's going to be a pitcher made available around the trade deadline that we're not even thinking about right now that could be had. And instead of buying a pitcher, even if it's two years cost effective, it's going to force them to go over the luxury tax, which they clearly show they don't want to do. They could use some of those assets, go out and get a top frontline starter come July – Kind of like what the Astros did with Verlander. I know that was in August, but having a pitcher like that, because as of the winter of last year, Verlander was not a possible trade bait. Absolutely. And you know what? The other thing is, you're kind of right, because maybe the Yankees, maybe Montgomery takes another step, and the Yankees really don't even need that. And, and they, can, can, they can go and spend those, th- trade those prospects that may never play at another position. Let's not forget about this, use. too, is they love Chance Adams. They, the, uh, Hal Steinbrenner said early in the offseason that he was somebody they were looking forward to seeing. And Justice Sheffield is not far away from the major leagues yeah, either. Yeah, I think next year he's in the Yankees rotation, honestly. Uh, maybe halfway through next year. I'd be surprised if he wasn't. I yeah, agree. He's so. a stud. So he I is. Think. So I think that there's, you know, there's certain a lot, certainly a lot of optimism from Yankee camp. Uh, they have some veterans that are going to try to play well and 
during the uh, during the spring to either buy jobs with the Yankees going up north or maybe get some signs from other teams too if they play well. Um, but it, I think it, I think we're destined to see a Jace Peterson or a uh, Espinosa sighting early in the season prior to Gliber. I know Cashman said it doesn't matter, but. Yeah, I, I, I find it hard starting. to believe Gliber starting the season. In, in That's the just the way they've leagues. been doing it recently. All right, well, then uh, let's talk about something a little more relevant because baseball is a month away, but we'll be touching on it just because we both love the Yankees. Uh, college basketball, mainly Arizona there's and some a little, of the other There's FBI a little bit shit. of news going on in the NCAA right now, you huh? Can, you could say that, and it doesn't have to do with any of the teams because unfortunately, nobody's established themselves as like a good fucking team this year. Everything has just been mediocre, I think. Yeah, I, I think you know you've been paying a little more attention to the college basketball uh, landscape than I have. But yeah. from what I've seen, it's it doesn't seem like a team has really set themselves apart like a Kentucky did three years ago, being undefeated heading into the tournament. Um, you know what's going to be interesting to see is what teams' best players play best heading down the stretch run into the conference tournaments and then into the NCAAs. Well, let's see what best players play at all because you never know what's going to come out with this FBI shit either because a lot of those players' name Colin Sexton, Miles um, Bridges, even DeAndre Aiden, they could Marvin all be Bagley. Before you know it, they could all be suspended. Yeah. You know? And they, they could have to – the tournament could be like nothing this year. Villanova could just walk through the tournament if those teams don't play. I don't think that's going to happen. There's no way it'll happen. There's way too much money involved in college basketball for that to happen. But you never know. But what I did take away, because I watched the entire Arizona game yesterday. What were your thoughts? Was that, well, one, Sean Miller's not a good coach. Neither is Lorenzo Romar, who had a great first half game plan. And then in the second half, went completely away from it. But the, the thing that I took away from it most was that I think DeAndre Aiden should at least be the number three, two, and I think maybe the number one pick in the next year's NBA draft. He faced a lot of adversity last night, and he fucking put up both middle fingers and got 28 and 18, and I think he could have had 30-plus points had Lorenzo and Romar not been a complete idiot and just kept feeding him the ball. He was absolutely dominating. His jump shot looked incredible. He was grabbing rebounds. Granted, he's not grabbing rebounds over DeAndre Jordan. He's grabbing it over 6'10 guys, but that translates to the NBA. He's got really quick feet, and like... Um, like they mentioned 20,000 times on the, bo- on the, on the uh, broadcast yesterday, he doesn't have any body fat. He's got a great body. And Bill I just, Walton likes to make sure people know how great his well, body Bill is. Well, Bill Walton compared him to every single great NBA center from Shaq all the way down to Bill Russell yesterday. So did he, he break out the cactus too? He, I don't know if he quite no. did that, but he, was, he did call up the Pac-12, the Conference of Champions, quite a few times, which is dumb in its own right. But whatever. He's not wrong when he played in the 60s. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but I will say that DeAndre Aiden will be – I think he's going to be the number one pick with what he did yesterday. His jump shot looks fluid. I think he might be able to stretch it out to three if he gets on the right team with the right coach because his jump shot looked great. He's really quick, got great post moves. And he's just really strong, especially for uh, he's got to be like 19 years old. He's a freshman. So. What I look for, and I'd be interested to get your take on it as well, is obviously as the season progresses and these teams are nationally televised seemingly every one of their games, is you get a pretty good feel for players' athleticism and how they grow as players throughout the throughout the season and, and especially into the postseason, which you know 
coaches, well, coaches thing, and GMs say is not the biggest deal, but people, players have elevated themselves to top yeah. lottery picks based off of what they've done. My the thing when I watch college basketball is I don't really care about the athleticism because, like, you're in the ESPN 100. I can go watch your hoop mixtape. There's a lot of guys that can dunk and that can run the floor and do all that stuff. You're in the ESPN 100 based off that. You were great in high school based off that. What I want to watch is for someone like Aiton who at the beginning of the year was not this good in the post and was not this aggressive and has progressively support according to a lot of people in the media saying that he works really hard and he has gotten significantly better and on top of that he had a big fuck you game yesterday when he could have folded very easily not that in the grand scheme of things a game at Oregon in February really matters because they're the number 14 team in the country but you know what he went out there and he said fuck you to everybody and he dominated that game he wasn't he wasn't even close to the reason why they lost Lorenzo Romar was the reason why they lost because he went out in the second half didn't have a fucking plan at all they tried to play not to lose instead of play to win they dribbled the clock out instead of pounding it down there and letting him go to work every single possession they were throwing horrible inbounds passes when they should have dribbled it in and given it to him every single time they were throwing it over the top turning the ball over and I blame coaching for that not him yeah I mean in college basketball coaching is what gets teams to where they are you can develop great players you can have a star here so much more than the NBA yeah the NBA is a players driven league I mean they fucking the Warriors coach themselves against the Suns yeah one by 40 right yeah, but in college, you're, you're 100% right. I think Aiton is a guy that as long as he can stay, first of all, on the court with these sanctions, but getting into the big games is making sure that he's avoiding foul trouble. And, and the funny other thing I took away from that game, the other funny thing I was watching is that, you know, Sean Miller, he is kind of a sleazy guy, but the other thing is Lorenzo Romar is just as bad as him, if not worse. He was a He's a much worse coach. He never won shit. At Washington, and he also had another player named in the same report from the FBI being paid in Markel Fultz that he got to come out there when he was coaching at Washington last year. And it's pretty, it's, is it a coincidence that the second he got fired, Michael Porter, who was the number one player in the ESPN decommitted. 100, decommitted from Washington and went to Missouri right as he got fired? Probably not. Probably not. I would say Probably so. Probably not. And he's not even a good coach. So I, I, I think that Sean Miller might have coached his last game at Arizona. I don't know. But there is a lot of things surrounding just because of that wiretap where he did say that he made some $100,000 quote. Not that it was taken. They don't know any of that yet. Maybe they do, but it hasn't come out yet. But, you know, I don't think that he should be, especially after just losing to Oregon, I don't think that he should be the next guy up. What interests me about this is the fact that this is an FBI probe, not an NCAA investigation. The NCAA has to cover its butts. They understand that they have the cream of the crop tournament, probably the best postseason setup of any sport yeah, coming up next month. That, yep. that they make a lot of money off of from, from marketing, from television, from other outlets, and just the notoriety that gets pushed. I mean, it's a perfect time of the year where not a whole lot else is going on. And so you know that they would do the best to cover their backsides, knowing that this is an FBI investigation. I don't think they're putting any any real merit on that. So heads could roll and heads could roll soon.
Yeah, but what I don't understand is about the whole pay the players. I think the players should be paid, of course, you know, and but there's just no way to regulate it. I think that what they should do is the first thing they should do is get rid of the one and done rule, which is an NBA rule. Yep. And I think that Adam and Silver will do something about that. There have been talks that that's going to be going away soon. I think that it should be more like baseball where it's like, all right, you want to come out? You can come out in high school. We'll see how it goes. The G League would be boosted off of that and yep. it might actually matter a little bit. Yeah. It'll be kind of be like the minor leagues. And as well as then it'll keep players in the in the college basketball system that want to go to college for at least two years. That's the rule with the with Major League Baseball is that you either come out in high school or you stay for two years. I think that would be a much better way to get rid of because DeAndre he would have gone to the NBA draft and we wouldn't be talking about this right now. Marvin Bagley same thing. But you could be talking about how they could be performing because the thing about those kids and why the rule was implemented was they thought it was a maturity aspect because what you do have your examples of the Kobe Bryant's and the Kevin Garnett's and the LeBron James's that don't. But this isn't working and I think that it should be left up to the player and his agent or whoever. I mean that would make the agents a lot more uh, matter a lot more because they could determine whether or not you're ready to go to the NBA out of high school. Agreed but then you take a personal situation just playing devil's advocate because in principle I agree with what you're saying. But just to play devil's advocate is let's say you have a player who, from a skill standpoint, probably is ready. From a maturity standpoint, probably isn't. And yes, he can get all of the education and go through all of the seminars and teaching of financial responsibility. What I, what I think about that, I agree with you. Sometimes players aren't ready because you know they spend their money in the wrong places or they're just not ready. Like Eli Apple doesn't know how to fucking turn on a stove. Right. Whatever. But he's got all the skills to be a great cornerback in the NFL. I agree with that. But at the same time, you know, if they try and figure this out for a few years, maybe the NBA will figure it out to where, you know, they hire another person. They got their print money right now. They're, they're the, the up-and-coming leagues still. Yep. You know, they're, the NFL is on the way down. They're on the way up. They'll figure out a way to create a job or two for somebody to where somebody teaches them those values if they don't have somebody to teach it to them. Because you do learn those values in college. You learn how to budget. You learn how to you do. budget your money, your time, all that stuff. I agree with that because it's your first time living on your own. They can hire somebody to do that. Like, big brother whatever they can figure that out but what i'm saying is it just regulates the pay to play yep. which is like the the biggest problem in the ncaa and it seems to be worse in basketball than any other sport as far as we know i think and it does because simply and i agree because when you look at it from a standpoint of a lot of coaches that used to develop programs have gone away from developing programs and gone to the one and done. Exactly. Like I mean, look K's. at Coach K. Coach K, five years ago, was spitting, literally spitting on Coach Calipari for doing this. And now he's got three small forwards, the top three players in the ESPN 100 on his team. Zion Williamson is the third best player that he got, which is insane. It is. Where's it, what position is he going to play? He doesn't care nope. because he's going to leave in a year. Yep. Whatever. Well, I think, too, is what's very interesting is the one-and-done can be very also detrimental to the player and it could because the player doesn't want to be there. Well, so, yeah, then you, have, it, you, like, you also have – that's another argument towards the, my thing where you could either go right out or stay for two years. You look at a player like Ben Simmons who the only reason why he was there was to play basketball, stopped going to school after like six months. They didn't even make the tournament, which wasn't his fault at all. But you know what? You lost You lost two good years in the NBA of Ben Simmons because he had to play at LSU for a year, and then he got hurt. 
playing at LSU, and he, and he aggravated that injury in the summer league, so you lost him for another year. And now he's a rookie this year. When Think about how great he would have been had he just been right into the NBA. He yeah, was ready. Absolutely. He was ready. I think, yeah, he had all the physical tools. He, he was absolutely could have made a mark right out of high school and, and gone and played tremendously. He's still been a top pick. Yeah. I think a very interesting topic, though, that being you know a fan of uh, UConn men's basketball is – Andre Drummond was the only one-and-done player that UConn ever had. And he had a very subpar season in his one year with Connecticut. What was interesting was that did not diminish his draft status at all. He was still a top lottery pick because of the physical skills he presented. Well, yeah, because it's all about what they project to be. Right. Because it's like, you know, you name some great college players that you're like, they're, the player, I forgot his name on West Virginia, it looks like he's 40 years old. Yep. He's a great college basketball player. He's the star of the team, but he'll never play in the NBA. No. He may play in, like, Israel or something, have fun, but, like, and make some money. Good for him. Yep. But, you know, that's that's the whole point. It's like, if you could be a great college basketball player and project out to be that, but that's your ceiling. What I want to know, too, is, you know, these one-and-dones, let's say that they suffer an injury during their year of school. Let's say that they have a lackluster season. Maybe they don't fit well into the scheme that the that the coach has. Maybe they don't play well with their teammates. It seems like that doesn't really hurt them when they're going pro. Because the scouts look because past the scouts that. look past that for the ceiling, right? Yeah. So they're gonna they're not gonna make an assessment off an eighteen, nineteen year old. So this whole argument of that possibly being you know, their their draft status could be even higher if they go out and dominate in college really is is moot because it doesn't hurt them if they don't play well. And it hurts, it hurts college basketball as well because, like you said, you have Coach K where he gets these kids for a few months and he can't even coach them up. Right. You know, and, and all these other programs where they're getting the one-and-done players. And I think it dilutes college basketball as well as it does, you know, the NBA to where – and the other thing that people are saying is, well, then it's going to cut out veterans like in the NBA's jobs. Well, you I know, don't necessarily agree with that because because they're going to be cheaper, so that you right. can cut like somebody like Kendrick Perkins or whatever. Yeah. Well, then the NBA is hot right now. Maybe expand the league. You know, they Bill Simmons said that on his podcast where two there should be two more NBA teams. He doesn't. You know, he said like uh, one in uh, Vancouver and then one in Seattle or something. There's always there's always ways to do it. And the other thing, I don't know how they would regulate paying the players because DeAndre Ayton should get paid a lot more than. The walk-on that, of course. who uh, I, I agree he should be paid, but he shouldn't be paid as much. I don't know. Is there an algorithm where you could do it that, you know, there's a base salary, like a, like a college basketball minimum where the walk-on gets paid, you know, $20,000 per season, and then DeAndre Ayton gets paid per minute that he plays? The difficulty you know, with like, the play, because when college football season is around, you get the same thing. The, the difficult situation is, is that these universities – sell the apparel with numbers on the jerseys. And although the names aren't on them, everybody knows... They just stopped doing that because of Johnny that is. Yeah, I heard about so that. So it, it's... It, because the problem is, is it's not only how it pertains to the rest of the roster, it, how it pretend, pertains, rather, to all of the other sports on campus. Well, yeah, you're not... So nobody's, you're, nobody's spending any money. The only, the only two sports that earn... 
you know, that generate income and not are at a, at a negative are college basketball and college football. Right. Every, I mean, they generate a ton of money, billions and billions of dollars, but every other sport on a college campus is a negative. They have to give those co- those players scholarships. They have to pay the coaches, yada, yada, mu- yada. I think and it's they mutually all- understood, not to cut you off, but I think it's mutually understood that the, you know, the, the men's hockey team from certain schools, they are not there strictly to progress into NHL superstars. Yeah. College football and college basketball are the only sports on a college campus where you know that players are playing there strictly because it's going to just be the next step in stone and it's, it's a, a tradition. career that has nothing to do with education. Yeah, well, college sports is a tradition, and none of those sports I really think are going anywhere unless there's a Title IX issue and they want to cut their worst sport out like they've done in some schools. Yeah. But I think that I, there's got to be a way that somebody much smarter than you and I can figure it out to where there's a base salary that every single player on every single college sport team makes, and then you create an algorithm to where DeAndre Ayton has this many impact minutes, and each impact minute that he has makes a, a, how many dollars per, and that equals you know two hundred and fifty thousand right. dollars. Not like you're playing in the NBA, but at least you don't.